Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Home and home. Before we move on to football and the CBA, it's big news. I got a lot to say about that. But it seems like, for whatever reason, when we go on family vacations, a decent amount of time, we are flying on Southwest out of BWI, Baltimore. Uh, They have direct flights to more places, whatever. I don't know. So what happens is, is we know our configuration. I get on the plane. We all get on the plane together. My wife and daughters have one row. I'm on the other side. I get in the aisle. Yeah. Now, Southwest flights are always full. My wife thinks this is creepy. I want to know whether or not you think this is weird or smart. Mm-hmm. But when I sit down in the aisle, I know Southwest flights 99% of the time are totally full. So what happens is people walk to the way back to see if they can get an aisle or a window, but then they realize it's at some point they realize it's not happening. I strategically look for a slender female to sit in the middle seat. And as they're walking down, a lot of times they end up being younger, not always, but a lot of them they end up being younger. I will say, do you want to sit here? You can sit here because I don't want Uncle Joe sitting next to me at 282, okay? I don't – first of all, if I'm going to be touching another human being at all, I'd rather it be female than male. And secondly, I want the smallest – I don't discriminate gender. If there's a little boy that wants to sit there, go for it. But that's typically not the case. They're going to be with their parent. So what I need is I need, and don't just post this social clip and cut it out. Because me saying, you know what I need? I need a small young girl. <laughs> that sounds really bad. That sounds really bad. So my wife always gives me flack and says, that's really weird. That's inappropriate. And every once in a while... The girl might look at me a little weird, um, but it's worth it. It's so worth it to have someone next to you that doesn't touch you at all. And if you do happen to touch them, it's a small female. It's so worth it. They're usually happy that someone is friendly and like, because nobody wants to be the person that sits in the middle seat, but they don't have a choice. So it's like, you can sit here. They're usually happy. Every once in a while, there's a hesitation. I will then like touch my wife's arm and be like, yeah, my family's over there. So this seat's open. Like to immediately be like, nope, I'm not weird, big stranger, old guy, dude. I am family legitimate guy. Check the right family legitimate. I just think it'd be better if you sat here. Is that weird, inappropriate, genius? What do you think? Just to reiterate, in case you folks missed that, Ross Tucker is always on the prowl for a young, thin woman. That's the, that's the takeaway here. Ross Tucker is always on the prowl for a thin, young woman. Checks all three boxes. Okay, now that we've established that, it's obvious. It's brilliant. It's the only way to go. 
how many times I've sat there in my aisle seat because I have a high boarding number and just fear that that big chubby older dude is the one who's going to plop down in the aisle next to me and ruin my fucking day. And at the same <laughs> token, when I see that girl get on the plane, slightly attractive, probably in a little better shape and yes, tends to be younger. I'm just hoping, man. It's like me when I have my lotto tickets the morning after the jackpot. I'm like, tell me she's sitting next to me. Tell me she's, Ugh, she doesn't sit next to me. But, so, I but you don't win that lottery. You don't, so you don't, you don't take the next, you don't take the initiative or the next step. Well, I don't fly Southwest. I fly primarily United and there's oh, no gotcha. moving around. There's no switching seats. Yeah. So no, it is absolutely the way to go. Smart, smart decision by you. I think that is absolutely the intelligent way to go. Okay. Let's talk about some deal or no deal. Let's talk about some NFL, CBA, and how the league as we know it may change moving forward, although not next season, but the changes you know about. Three preseason games from four, 17 regular season games from 16, 14 playoff teams from 12, one extra team per conference, and most notably, one by per conference, which I believe sucks and all of us will come to regret five years from now. The revenue sharing is the big difference for the players. Increased revenue for the players. This tide raises all boats up from 47 to 48% or 48.5% if, in fact, they move to 17-game regular season. Teams would, again, only be able to tag only be able to franchise tag one player, which is a huge deal. We'll talk about later in the program with our all 32, because today we're talking Dallas Cowboys. The conventional wisdom was they would tag two players, Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. So a huge deal in this CBA for the Dallas Cowboys amongst others. So we'll talk to, to Corey majors, one Oh five, three in Dallas about how that will impact them. But the big news was when JJ Watt, Arguably the most public of players in the league. I think you could argue one of the three faces of the NFL, really. Came out and tweeted hard no on that proposed CBA. Chris Harris of the Denver Broncos, prominent corner in the league, he retweeted that. Richard Sherman retweeted that with his approval as well. So again, we don't have any idea if the majority of players are on board. That's what they need, as well as two-thirds of player reps. But some prominent public faces of the league don't like this deal, Ross. What about you, a former player? Yeah, well, let me start with J.J. Watt in particular. He is absolutely entitled to his opinion. I'm really disappointed in how he handled this. First of all, to my knowledge, and maybe I'm wrong, but he's not a union rep. He's not part of the executive committee. He's not the Houston Texans player rep. So he has not been involved in the negotiations at all. So for him to just tweet hard no on proposed CBA is really, really disappointing and insulting to the guys that have put in months of work on this, months of work on this, even if he feels that way, social media is not the right forum for him to voice that. And number two, how about some context, JJ? What don't you like about it? I'd love to interview you. I'd love to hear what you don't like about it. Let me say a couple things, Dave. Number one, J.J. Watt has made over $85 million. He's not really who the union represents. He is one of 20 guys, maybe, that are in that stratosphere. The union is trying to do what's best for 2,000 guys. And these are guys that have a unique skill and ability 
to play professional football, and they are trying to get the best financial head start they can in life and financial security for their family that they can before they're out of the league in three years or they get hurt after five or maybe they make it to seven. That's the vast majority of NFL players, 95%. He represents the less than 5%. And his opinion matters, but wow, I think it's very dangerous what he did, especially, by the way, when the deal is unequivocally better across the board on every single line item from the 2011 deal. I would love to know what it is that he's a hard no on when he just played nine years under a CBA that was much worse. It's extremely disappointing on a lot of different levels. Okay, what about this? What about the fact that I've heard about player safety for years and years and years and better benefits for former players for years and years and years? Where is that discussion now? Where are the players saying we need to do more to protect players because they were protective of the concept of a 17-game regular season until there was more money. And you can't for a second, Ross, tell me that, oh, well, we're playing less in the regular season and the minor cutback on contact drills, that won't compensate for the additional game they're playing each and every year. Where are the players standing up for player safety and former players' increased benefits? Because I don't hear a freaking whisper about it, and maybe that's what J.J.'s talking about. Well, so first of all, the player pension amount is going to go up to $550 minimum for everyone before 2012 that played before 2012. That's a significant increase for every single retired guy that it's going to go up to 550 at a minimum. Some of these guys, their pensions are like $150 a month. So that's $400 more a month. So that's, that's number one for former players. Number two, in terms of player safety, It's a lot less contact in practice than they were having. 16 padded practices, that's fantastic. And I would argue that eliminating a couple padded practices, in my mind, is better than adding one game, which is 60 snaps, 60 plays. And by the way, you know, the New England Patriots – have played at least 17 games for all but one of the last 20 years. Most of the time, they're playing 18, 19. There's no evidence that their careers have been shortened. There's no evidence that they've had more wear and tear. Look at Devin McCourty or Matt Slater or Tom Brady or whoever you want to look at. There's no evidence that adding one game is that much of a detriment. And here's the thing that's funny, okay? The NFLPA, it has gotten increases across the board. And if you want me to, I can go line item by line item in those increases. And you know what, Dave? You know the only thing that they're giving up? The only thing they're giving up is four more teams playing one Playoff game, one extra playoff game, 12.5% of the teams play one more playoff game. And by the way, they get a shitload of money for that. And then everybody plays one more regular season game. Guess what? The primary benefit of that will be the increased television revenue. The players get 55% of the television revenue. The owners get 45%. The players benefit more from the added game and added two playoff games than the owners do. There are so many people on Twitter and across the airwaves that really 
need to sit this one out because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know how, Dave, I don't talk politics on this show or publicly because I'm admittedly ill-informed and I would not be comfortable because I don't know enough about it to speak to it in a public forum. You agree to that, right? Like, if anything, I just ask you questions. Agreed, right? Yeah, and I don't have an answer as to what the hell is happening because Bernie Sanders looks like the Democratic nominee. Fucking Bernie Sanders against Donald Trump. But proceed. Thank you. Um, and I do want to <laughs> ask you about that at some point. Maybe we'll do that off the air uh, since the millennials didn't like our news segment. That evidently wasn't a big hit. But at any rate, um, my point is there are a lot of people that have no idea what they're talking about that are speaking on social media or other platforms about this deal that really should sit this one out because they're totally clueless and they don't know what they're talking about. And this is very fucking serious, okay? We are talking about guys that are- Wait a minute. Are you saying J.J. Watt doesn't know what he's talking about? I just want to be clear. I don't think J.J. Watt knows what he's talking about, no. No, I, 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 don't, think he, I don't think he's very well. He's clearly not very well informed. Like someone needs, like, wow. I don't think J.J. knows everything I just said. I mean, you start, J.J., a negotiation with where the deal already was, okay? The NFLPA did better in every single category. They got the owners to give in, and all they're doing is playing one more game and two more playoff games, four teams, and they benefit more from that than the owners do. But, Dave, let me just say something, okay? The guys that are playing, most of them do not have a plethora of other marketable skills. For the rest of their life. They're not changing. Most of them are going to make minimum for however many years they can stick around before they bruise their spinal cord like I did, or they blow out their knee, or teams just decide we're done with them. The NFLPA's job is to try to allow those guys to get the best financial head start they can and as much financial security salary benefits insurance as they can from that two years five years maybe they're unbelievably fortunate eight or nine years as they can before they then go on to the next phase of their life that's their job they're doing a darn good job of it all of those guys would say, hell yeah, I'll play another game for that money. The only guys that I've seen that are being critical of it have made like over $50 million and are either ill-informed or their default is to be combative no matter what. So I'm not going to say Sherman is ill-informed, I'll just say that his default is to be combative. And it's easy to say that when you've made all the money that he has. And maybe Richard Sherman and Russell Okung are willing to sit out games or a whole season to try to get what they want. Guess what? How about all the guys who won't even be in the league the next year if you do that. Why don't you talk to their freaking wives or their kids if you want to sit out an entire year? And so those guys, with the minimum going up 100000 those guys are going to miss out on $850,000. So you can prove a point that you're not even going to prove. It, it, it gets me so angry I can't even talk about it. And this isn't just me. I had a call right before the show started 
from a guy that was intimately involved in the last CBA and knows exactly what the deal is and how hard it is. This isn't baseball where the guys have long careers and guaranteed contracts for years or even the NBA. These guys don't have guaranteed contracts. They don't play very long and they don't have the will to sit out an entire season. And I don't blame them because they might never have another season if they sit out an entire season. But you're giving away the farm here. You're giving away the store. You're giving the owners everything they want, which is the 17th regular season game and additional playoff teams. Why not draw your line in the sand that you deserve 50-50 revenue sharing? Quandre Diggs hasn't made... Uh, $50 million in his in his career. He says, let's fight for 50-50, so why not? Don't players deserve it? Absolutely, they deserve it. So but when else are you going to fight have, for it? They don't have the leverage. They, they don't have the leverage. They started at 47%. What is their, let's, let's talk through this. Get Quandre on the show. What is your leverage to get the 50-50? What is your leverage? We're going to sit out games? No, you're not, bro. No, you're not. And the NFLPA can either lock you out. The NFL can either lock you out or they can institute their last best offer. And guess what? While a few of you guys are sitting out, after about three or four weeks, most of the guys are going to be like, bro, I'm sorry. I, I got a very short career. This is $72,000 a week that I'm missing right now. I got to live 50 years after this. Peace. I'm going across. You guys want to strike? I'm going across the picket line. Like, I wish I mm. wish the players got 50-50. I'm a former player. I live in the real world. I live in the real world where you're talking about guys that are multi-billionaires that have time on their side. They're going to be the owners forever. The players don't have the money. They don't have time on their side. And they don't have the will to sit out the amount of games it would take to try to get something like 50-50. I think them getting 48.5%, getting halfway from 47 to 50, is a damn good job considering they're not giving away shit. They're adding one game that they get 55% of the money from. Well, it would be interesting if we could get J.J. Watt, if we could get Quandre Diggs on this program. We certainly need to hear what J.J. Watt, what Richard Sherman's issue is with this new CBA from the player's perspective. Now, as from the media or fans' perspective, I still hate the idea of watering down the playoff accomplishment of putting too many eight and eight, nine and seven teams in the postseason. Nobody is clamoring for more eight and eight teams like Pittsburgh and Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges in the fucking playoffs. And ultimately that we will all regret. And nobody wants to see one seed versus one seed in the Super Bowl, which mark my words, we will see probably four out of the next five years. And that will make this game worse off i hate the ultimate impact of those two things i do love one thing i do love one thing ross and it's the window for marijuana testing has been narrowed and the days of the four game suspension for a failed marijuana test would end if this deal is approved i love that man i'm very happy that the league is backing away from marijuana as an issue what do you feel about that I don't care that much about that. Um, you know what? I know that's important to a bunch of players. Great. Good for them. I guess what I like about it, Dave, is it'll be less guys getting suspended. I don't like seeing guys getting suspended. I don't like guys missing games because they were smoking marijuana a certain amount or whatever. So I'm fine with it. But, Dave, stuff like – like I go on uh, radio.com affiliates – as an insider, right? Loveradio.com affiliates. We've got affiliates all over the country. And they say, but Ross, what about the franchise tag? Or Ross, what about Goodell's power? It's like, dude, 
that affects like five people a year, five to 10 guys a year. I'm talking about 2,000 human beings and their families. I'm not talking about five to 10 guys that are going to be so rich anyway because they're about to get franchise tagged or five to 10 morons that get in trouble because they hit a woman or something. What are we talking about? What are we, what are we talking about? Five to 10 idiots that do stupid shit or five to 10 super rich guys that don't like that they can't get even more rich. Shut the hell up. God. Well, they did make a change to the franchise tag, which is pretty significant, and we will discuss it. And, and, and the marijuana thing, I think, is not about doing something stupid. It's just something that NFL players should be allowed to do. It ain't performance enhancing. And if there is anything to help these players through their injuries and concussions and marijuana can do it, I am thankful that the league and the players agree on moving away from that. Too late for you, Greg Robinson. You can't take advantage of this. Okay, Greg Robinson, this does not help explain why a former number two pick who's made nearly $30 million in career earnings tried to get 157 pounds of weed across the border in a freaking Uber. Ross, please explain how a guy who made more than six mil last year, almost 30 in his career, would do something the height of stupidity. I don't have words to describe how freaking stupid Greg Robinson is and how much weed he was trying to get across the border. How do you explain this to me, to the average guy who, who has never played in the NFL, who's never had to make these type of decisions? I love that players can smoke moving forward, but this, there is no explanation for. Well, you just said it. Uh, there is no explanation. And I don't think Greg Robinson should go to jail. Not one single day. I think Greg Robinson should be required to go to every single college campus in the United States and go to the sociology 101 class and go to the front of the room with hundreds of students looking up at the stage and the professor and sit down so the professor can look Greg Robinson in the eyes and say, okay, Greg, let's dive into this. Where did it all go wrong? Like, dude, uh, he's made over $29 million. He's 27 years old. He just made $6.4 million last year. Like, something went really wrong at some point. I don't know if it was his parents or where he's from. I don't know if he's just a bad guy. I don't know if he's incredibly dumb. I don't know if it's just crazy peer pressure from his former Auburn teammate, but I really believe he, th this is one of the most interesting case, case studies for sociology 101 I've ever heard because I gotta know what was going through his brain when he did this and then try to work back from there as to how he got to that point in his life where he would do that. Because there is not even a speck of logic to it other than his buddy from Auburn that didn't make the NFL, doesn't have money, and was able to convince him through peer pressure to go with him on this trip to front the money so that he could have some money too. That's all there is to it. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Sporting event of the weekend, without a doubt, is the heavyweight title fight between Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, part two, but is it worth 80 bucks? And is the sport of boxing about to be extinct or can it hang on with its current niche in the sports universe? Let's talk about it with one of the authors of one of the best sports books of all time. The book is Ali, A Life. He is journalist. He is an author. He is Jonathan Eig, and he joins us here on a Friday. Good to see you, sir. So uh, tell us about this fight this weekend. Look, I'm not a big boxing guy. Why should I give a damn about this fight? Why should I consider paying 80 bucks on pay-per-view? And would you pay 80 bucks? <laughs> I'm not planning to. Uh, if I get a call <laughs> and somebody invites me over, I might... Uh... I might go watch, but I'm not planning to pay for it, and uh, I'll chip in if some other guys are doing it. But I, I have to say, it's kind of like the last gasp. It's the last uh, heavyweight boxing match that that's going to matter for a while. It hasn't there hasn't been one that mattered for a while, and I just feel like you know this this should be a good fight. So um, if you care at all about boxing, and there aren't that many of us left who do, um, if you care at all about boxing, this is a good one to watch. You know, Jonathan, I'm glad you said that because this I, I can't remember the last heavyweight bout that I was even aware of, that I, that I even, like, considered or even talked about. So on that level, I guess, it's a real positive that we're having you on, we're talking about it, there's a fight that people are talking about. But I want to go back because you wrote the Ali biography – and when I talked to my dad and my father-in-law, you know, back when Ali and, and those guys were around, that was the biggest sport. It was the biggest deal. Everybody watched every fight back then. They would go to different, because Ali used to train near where I'm from in Deer Lake sometimes. People would go, you'd have to drive to gyms or movie theaters or, or arenas to watch it closed circuit and people would do it everybody would do it so i'm hoping you can take us through the evolution of like what happened like what how do we get from there to here you know it's important to remember that um, when ali came along people were saying um heavyweight boxing is dead and ali said i'm gonna bring it back i'm gonna revive it and he did because um, those fights in the 70s, Ali Frazier, Ali Foreman, um, they were bigger than 100 Super Bowls. These, these were the sporting events. They were – everybody t talked about them. And even if you couldn't watch them, you were, if you were a kid and you couldn't go out to the uh, closed circuit and see it in the theater, um, you'd listen on the radio. Everybody waited for those fights. But even before Ali came along, people were saying boxing was dead. After World War II, the sport lost a lot of popularity. You know, people started saying – um, they got better things to do. There are better ways to make a living. You know, boxing worked when, when in the depression when p people were looking for a way out of poverty. But once you got into the into the 50s and 60s, there were better ways for even for young kids who were great athletes to to work their way out of the ghetto. So boxing just started dying off. All the boxing clubs. I mean, nobody boxes for recreation anymore, but they used to. So once you cut it off as a recreation, once you lose those boxing clubs that were in the neighborhoods, the sport begins to dry dry out. The talent pool dies out. So Ali brought that back for a little while because he made boxing so exciting in the seven, 60s and 70s. And then you had a little like last gasp with Mike Tyson because he was such a compelling figure. I mean, that he just he was a, a the small guy who knocked people out so brutally, so viciously that that sparked some interest again. But since Tyson, I would say that, you know, most Americans can't name a single heavyweight boxer. With the exception of this fight, uh, yeah, if you go back a couple of weeks, 
I'll be honest, I probably could not name a single heavyweight fighter talking with Jonathan Ig, the author of Ali, A Life. It was a significant boost, though, not a minor one, in the 90s when Mike Tyson came back. And this thing was a, a news event. I would absolutely pay the hundred bucks, I believe it was, back then, or something around there. I mean, it was when he lost to Buster Douglas, this was worldwide news. The sport was back with a bang. At what point did it just drop off a cliff? You know, I think after Tyson, it, it fell off. And, you know, you had a couple of really strong fighters and some great championships after that. But they didn't have the kind of personality that Ali had or Tyson even. I mean, Tyson wasn't much of a personality when he was young, but he was a really compelling figure, a really interesting character that you wanted to see. I, you know, I paid for some of those fights, even though they lasted, you know, 12 seconds. Um because everybody was talking about Tyson. He was, a, he was just this, this you know, almost mythical figure in his ability to knock people out so quickly. And there's always something compelling about a fight. It's just something people are drawn to. But when you don't have the personalities, when you don't have the great rivalries, when you don't have, you know, um, like, like this weekend's fight, that's a, it's, a, it, it's compelling. They're, they're two really strong punchers. Um, they, 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 this should be a really good fight. But I couldn't really tell you. I, I don't think most Americans could 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 name them or tell you anything about their characters or about the personal side of their rivalry. They're just it doesn't have the same drama that the old fights used to have. Yeah, I'm kind of with Dave. Like, even when we were younger, Tyson was such a big deal, and then I feel like Holyfield wasn't as big of a deal, but we still knew him. Like, I'm trying to figure out when it was that it just kind of disappeared. Because even when Holyfield was the heavyweight champ, it wasn't as big a deal as Tyson. But we still knew it was Holyfield, and we still wanted to see the Holyfield foreman or Holyfield whoever. There was Lennox Lewis, Riddick. But it, it, it just, like, I feel like maybe after Lennox Lewis, it just dropped off the face of the earth, it feels like. Yeah, part of the problem is that it's, it's it's hard to know who's the champion. There's so many different titles. There's no one governing body. So there's no one organization promoting the fights. Um, MMA is a brand. They know how to market themselves. Um, boxing is all these different brands, and they don't really – they've never done a good job of marketing. There's no central boxing organization that is figuring out how to promote these fights, how to make – and compelling stories out of them. We like stories. We like to root for heroes. We like to root for the bad guy. Um, and boxing just hasn't had any of that since Tyson, really. Talking with Jonathan Ogg, the author of Ali, A Life. And that's why I'm so surprised. A little uh, backstory about this upcoming fight. They had a, a pushing incident on camera earlier in the week, and the Nevada Athletic Commission decided there would be no face-off today during the weigh-in, which seems totally counterproductive to me. These two get it. Wilder and Fury get it. They understand the personality. I thought the pushing, in fact, looked awfully staged. Isn't this the type of thing that boxing ought to embrace and promote rather than run from it? That's right. I mean, controversy is good and fighting is what it's all about. You want to know that there's some bad blood between these guys. You want to know that they want to kill each other. That's why we that's why we pay to watch. And for the boxing officials to to downplay that or to try to eliminate it is 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 foolish. I mean, say what you want about Don King. He was he was a you know, wild guy. He was kind of a uh, crazy and he was, you know, making more money than his fighters sometimes. But the man knew how to promote a fight. He knew how to make you want to watch and and the world would respond. And there's nobody really, you know, pulling the strings right now for boxing to to, to keep it in front of the public. What you know, what do they do for social media? What do they do on on on, you know, to, to, to find young fans? They're just not doing it. All right. So then I got a couple other questions related to that. How much have they been hurt? first of all, by MMA, in your opinion? I think they've been hurt a lot. I mean, the young people I know, my my kids and my friends' kids, um, they're into MMA because it's a great spectacle. It's exciting to go to one of those fights and to watch them on TV. Um, and they know how to market. They, they've built a great brand. So I think that's hurt boxing tremendously. These kids aren't interested in, in, in this weekend's fight. And then the, And then the follow-up to that is, and maybe since what you just said about MMA, maybe the answer to this next question is no. 
But with all the CTE stuff and the repetitive hits to the head in boxing, what we know about that from football, Ali and, you know, Parkinson's and all of that stuff, do you think that's had an impact or no? Yeah, I think that's had a huge impact because, first of all, people aren't going into boxing for that very reason. You know, who's going to let their kid box these days knowing that they are almost certain to have, you know, serious, serious medical issues from that. Um, so you, again, you don't have the, the talent pool. No, you know, if you're a great athlete coming up in, in America today, you've got way better choices than boxing. So you are, you know, the, the future of the sport is really grim because you're just not going to see the talent coming up. And as a result of that, because nobody boxes for fun, um, you're not that interested in watching it either. And of course, you know, there's a lot of people who feel like it's brutal. I don't want to watch somebody trying to concuss somebody else. It's just, you know, it's, 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 it's sad. It is sad. Talking to Randy Eig, the author of Ali, A Life, and doing all that research, what surprised you the most about Ali? What would surprise our listeners? You feel like you know him so well. We've seen the story play out on the big screen, and of course, those who are alive for his career. But what, what would be the most surprising thing uh, to listeners, to viewers, or even it was to you? Well, you know, he started showing signs of um, of brain damage as early as the as as the first Fraser fight, 1971, according to his doctor, and that was a lot earlier than I expected. So he fought for another 10 years, already showing signs of CTE. And by the mid 70s, he started recognizing it himself. He started asking his family and his friends, "Do you think I'm showing uh, my my speech is slowing down?" Do I sound like I've got brain damage to you? And you could hear it. You could tell. Um, and, you know, I actually worked with CompuBox to count all the punches that Ali took. And we calculated that he took something like 200,000 punches over the course of his career. Uh, that's just, you know, it's inescapable that you're going to have some damage from that. You know, speaking of sports that, that might be dying, Jonathan, I know that you're into baseball as well. Boy, you can really pick them, man, baseball and boxing. <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 guess, I guess that is the first question, which is what is your level of concern that baseball could slip into uh, similar to what's happened to boxing because it feels like baseball – is losing traction, especially with young people, every year. Yeah, I think it's right. Um, you know, it just goes to show you how old I am. I guess you know my other. Uh, what what do I, I'm going to keep rooting for bowling to make a comeback too. I guess, um, but um, it's grim, and and I feel like this this cheating scandal certainly doesn't help. But baseball had problems to begin with. You don't see young fans at the ballpark. Um, they've, they've got the nets up now, so the young fans can't even try to get autographs from their from their favorite players before the game. The players have become more remote. The games have become too expensive. I want to take my three kids to a ball game. Uh, I'm going to end up spending 200 bucks um, before I even you know park the car. So um, it's it's you know the baseball is doing a bad job of uh, of appealing to younger fans the game is too slow it's boring my kids want to bring their you know phones and and just uh you know mess around on on snapchat they're not even watching the game why should i spend that money to go to a ball game and and when they're when they're just going to be bored so baseball's got some serious problems and that's why it's not the most popular sport anymore that's why um you know uh, football and basketball are and, and soccer even are, are making gains while while baseball is slipping in popularity yeah, you want a challenge? Bring your kids to a baseball game and tell them they can't be on their cell phones. That, <laughs> I've tried it, and I failed. I don't think I made it to the third inning. Um, yeah, where you can you the take luckiest them? Man. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I can't take them to the store, to the grocery store, and they'll stay off of them. But uh, you wrote The Luckiest Man, and back to that Astros cheating scandal. Um, how does that compare historically? I've been stunned at how the players 100% down the line, with the exception of former player David Ortiz, who we'll talk about later, uh, the players have lined up against the Astros, and they are hammering them. Even Yankees, who have Garrett Cole on their team. How does this scandal compare historically? I think it's the greatest scandal in baseball history. It certainly makes Pete Rose look like nothing. And even the Black Sox, um, that was one week of, of cheating, a few games. This is years of cheating. And... 
for the Astros to, to botch that press conference and to say, oh, we don't think it had any effect on the outcome of games. I mean, what a joke. Then why were they doing it? I think this is a serious scar on on the on baseball. I think it, it's something they'll be talking about for for the rest of uh, of if, as long as anyone's interested in baseball, they're going to be talking about this scandal. And I think that the so far the league has done a very poor job of of handling it, and the players have done a poor job of handling it. They they need to you know extract a pound of flesh from this from this team and from these players. They need to really come down hard on them if they want to restore the integrity of the game. Ask Reddit is the spot for the most intriguing questions on the planet. And we answer Reddit every day at this time here on Home and Home. And Ross, I got a feeling both of us have plenty of answers for today's question, which is, what do we do? What is that old person thing that you do? Go. Oh, gosh, there's a lot of, by the way. We need to do uh, one day, Dave. We need to do a weird thing we do. Like, what's like a totally off the wall thing that we do? I thought of it last mm. night. I'm brushing my teeth, okay? And every once in a while, Dave, I'll be brushing my teeth while I'm peeing, while I'm taking a leak, okay? And I stand up, unlike you, to pee. That's a story for another day. And for some reason, when I have a mouthful of toothpaste and I just brush my teeth, I spit out the toothpaste. I spit out the water toothpaste into the toilet. And in my mind, a little bit I'm doing that to kind of clean out the toilet and the pipes. Like a little bit I think that that somehow benefits the toilet, the piping, whatever, because I spit my toothpaste into the toilet. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll get into that another day. Uh, and with that, we'll discuss, we'll discuss how I pee sitting down on another day. But back to, that's just a ridiculous theory that has no rationale whatsoever. To quote Billy Madison, we should all be considered dumber for having heard that. But... Back all right, old, the thing, old guy, old old guy thing for me is, I mean, I'm like across the board old, right? So I get up really early, like old people do. I take a nap almost every day. That's straight old guy, old person thing to do. Um, I eat dinner sometimes before five o'clock. That is yeah. straight old person thing to do. I mean, I, I pretty much am old. Um, I wear uh, slippers every day, and I wear, like, uh, sweatpants with some type of long sleeve T-shirt. Like, bro, I'm living the straight old guy life across the board, and I'm loving every minute of it. Boy, that is one lucky wife you have at home, and you didn't even mention the fact that I, I think you wear, like, socks and Crocs, don't you? Socks and sandals? No, 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 no. Yeah, you do. I am not a socks and yeah, croc guy. I am. I, I I wear Crocs all the time. I am very anti-socks. So you and I are on different, totally different wavelengths. I think socks are for losers. Okay. I think someone that takes the time to sit down, bend over, pull up socks, put them on your feet, and then walk around wearing them. And then at the end of the day, you take them off. And at the top, it's like they were compressing your gigantic calves if you're like me all day. Yeah, socks are for losers. Socks and tying shoelaces are for losers, okay? You know what's, you know what, you know how you know you've made it in life? I don't ever bend over for shit, homie. I don't have to tie laces. I don't have to put on socks. I either slide into the Crocs or I slide in to the slippers. That's how you know you've made it. <laughs> totally disagree. I matched my socks today to some of the potential subject matter. We were going to talk about John Beeline gone from the Cleveland Cavaliers after 14 games of a five-year deal. Socks 
are the shit, man. And I'm rocking some Stance Cleveland Cavaliers socks right now. But that's not the old thing. The old thing that I do, you already nailed it. I eat dinner every night at like 5, 5.30. Unless, of course, my wife and I are going out. We'll go out at a normal time without the kids. It'll be like, you know, 7, 7.30. But I eat just about every night at about 5 or 5.30. But ironically, it's not because I'm an old guy. It's because my kids get freaking hangry every day at like five o'clock. And instead of just filling them up with crap, I figure let's just give up and have dinner at their time. So I'm actually doing a young person thing by eating at 530 and by young, I mean, 14, uh, 12 and eight years old. So I eat at 530 early bird special totally works for the Briggs family. I like it though. I like it Ross because you digest all that food and you can move on with your life and not go to bed full. Exactly. Um, I do it for intermittent fasting. I eat my first mm. meal typically when this show's over around 1030. I have a snack around 230, 2 o'clock. Then, I don't know, have dinner sometime between 5 and 6, sometimes a little bit earlier. Um, although, if I had dinner like at 445, and I'm up past 9:30. That gets rough, bro. That that gets rough, really Dude, rough. You are you are an old freaking man. You are an old man. I can't imagine we're gonna be like at like 60, 65. Here are the top answers on Reddit this morning. I look up words that kids use so I can understand their lingo. Yeah, I guess I do that. I go to the I go grocery shopping in the morning. I don't go grocery shopping, so can't answer that. Hold books and phone further away from my face to see them. I don't know if that's an old person thing or you just got crappy vision, man. Even young people have crappy vision. I'm old. I got great vision. I don't know about those. Let us know what you think at RDC Home and Home. What do you do that's an old person thing? But now we continue our all 32 look at all 32 NFL teams and their burning questions. We've been in the NFC East all week, and we continue today with the team that has to be the most intriguing team in the division. Sorry to you, Eagles fans, the Dallas Cowboys. A bewildering football team at 8-8 eight and eight, when I believe that is a Super Bowl type of roster. Let's take a look back with our Radio.com Red Zone at the highs and the lows and the many question marks of the 2019 Cowboys. Right now, we're in the midst gentlemen of Zeke watch 2019 he's uh, 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 he is not uh, he's late uh, we have officially reported and uh, so he's a non-report officially is Dak going to throw bombs down the field this year how's this offense going to look How's this offense going to look with Kellen Moore? All right, we have breaking news. The saga is finally over on the home of America's team. Good morning, Metroplex. Zeke Elliott extension. It came out as a six-year, $90 million extension. That, to me, is fantastic. I feel really good about Zeke uh, being in his prime for three or four more years or still being a fantastic player. Are the Cowboys... Good. Now they are at five and three. They've been really good against some opponents, but not really good against anybody of uh, great measure. This is this is the kind of question that I usually hate because it's so like simplistic. But the fact that I still to this moment can't answer it, I've been thinking about this for like the last forty-eight hours, and I want to say yes. Mike Fisher, his tweet. I'm told entire Cowboys coaching staff has been fired, and he tweeted out. I told a member of the staff, texted a person close to him, said we're fired. The response was, all of you? Question mark. And the response was yes. Then two minutes ago, he tweeted out. Member inside the Cowboys organization says that this is not the case yet. It may be the case soon, but it is not officially transpired yet. We weren't consistent enough. We weren't consistent enough throughout the year from game to game. We weren't consistent enough within games. Uh, we didn't do uh, the things that winning football teams do. Coach, what do you expect to happen next with your own future? I don't know. Don't know. We're going to go in this morning and, uh, and and we'll have a good visit and we'll see what's we'll see what's next. All right, it may have finally happened. Last night, Ed Werder's tweet: The Cowboys are moving on without Jason Garrett. 
Mike McCarthy era is beginning as he has been announced as the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. That is the biggest news of the day right there. And if you're just now getting into your car for the first time today, you're learning this and you're going, oh my God, what's happening here? Next year, would you be more worried about the Cowboys offense without Amari or the Cowboys defense without Byron? Radio.com Red Zone looks back at the 2019 Cowboys. A strange season, 8-8, eight and 3-7 eight, and seven out of the division. They lost 4-6 and six down the stretch, 4 of 6, including that devastating L to the Philadelphia Eagles, 17-9. What lies in store for their future? Let's talk about it with Corey Majors, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas as we continue our All-32. Corey, happy Friday, brother. Man, it's awfully dark where you are. You got any light in there, buddy? Nah, I don't have any lighting in I, here. I got something out. I think I think it I think it suits. I honestly think it's very <laughs> fitting, considering where the Cowboys are right now, with Dak oh. and Amari and Byron Jones all being free agents. I like it. I I think you should be at a funeral. You know the organization. Okay, the organization, Corey, that for years was overly aggressive, was spending uh, spending money and contracts and giving guys deals, now had four key players going into the last year of their deal. The only one that they rewarded was the guy that held out. By the way, good precedent, you're sitting there. And then also arguably at the least impactful position. Corey, what the hell is going on with the Cowboys having three top flight players all about to hit free agency and they're really only going to even be able to tag one if this CBA goes through yeah it, well and don't forget they also um they also signed tank last year so adding that money to it you know that was two people that they said all right we're going to commit this money now uh, and we'll look at the future. And then they added Jalen Smith to it as well. So they added $19 million there, which last year it didn't even look very well spent. Now, a lot of people try to figure out where's the blame? Where should that be? Should it be on uh, the defensive tackles for not doing their job up front? Or was it on Jalen Smith? Or Leighton Vander Esch wasn't looking very good. And then he got injured. And now it was all on Jalen and Sean Lee. And could that have held up? But uh, so last year was just, it was a very, very weird year and going into this offseason with these contracts they have about 73 million dollars i believe to work with but if you do a franchise tag for dak which i mean the cowboys want to use it they're like yeah it's one of our tools that we can use if it's still in the cba let's go ahead and use the franchise tag and i think they should will dak play under the franchise tag that's a big question mark uh, you hear some whispers that Jerry wants to make a splash in the draft. So if they franchise him, will and then he says, "I'm not gonna, I don't want to play under it. I'm gonna hold out." Will the Cowboys use the number 17 pick or maybe even a couple picks to take a quarterback just to be just to be sure? Uh, I mean, I, I obviously think their backup situation is is bad anyway, so they probably should spend some thought figuring out what they want to do there. But, uh, but, I mean, you hear Tua last night say that if he had his choice, he'd play for the Cowboys. So, obviously, Jerry loves a big spicy story whenever he gets that opportunity to do it. But you got $40 million maybe, potentially. I don't know, $37, 33000000 million. You got to figure out what the number is that you want to do with Dak Prescott. So, you got to figure out how much of that pie is going to be gone this year with that cap. And then if you spend $20 million, $19 million, that his – now, Amari Cooper's number is around $19 million. That's his market value. But, I mean, everybody knows that wide retrievers want more. They want more all the time. So will it be about $19 million? And All right, so now you've spent uh, $50 million of your $20 million. What do you have left over uh, to add Byron Jones? Is he a $15 million cornerback? Is that what he's going to want? Will the Eagles make the, hey, we want Byron Jones. We want to steal him from you. Or will they try and steal Amari Cooper from the Cowboys? I think they have lots of options with the draft and free agency, but they have so many holes to fill. I mean, it's like 23 players they got to fill uh, in free agency on the offensive, defensive side, mostly the defensive side. And they still haven't, I mean, they have to address the weaknesses at defensive tackle and their weaknesses in the secondary already. 
which includes their safety position, and losing Byron Jones would hurt that much more. Sorry, so Corey, there's a lot there, all right? Let's start <laughs> with the Dak Prescott part of it. You Would you and Cowboy Nation prefer to have him on the franchise tag and let's make him prove it one more year? Or would you rather get him locked up at, let's just say, $37 million a year and know that Dak's your guy for the next five? Um, well, last year he had, you know, it was kind of a prove-it year last year. They, they told him, go out there and prove it. And he got the yards, but they didn't get the playoffs. So what did they really prove? So they said, all right, we're going to scrap the project and we're going to reboot it with a new coaching staff. Uh, so for me, with the new coaching staff, and I'm, I'm convinced that the job was not gotten by Mike McCarthy unless he told the Cowboys, I can win with this quarterback. So I'm convinced that he, his part of his pitch was, I can win with Dak Prescott. So if, there, if, he, if he did say that, then, man, you just go ahead and sign the guy and you move on for the next five years and say that's how it's going to work. But if, that, if that's not the case, then I think that uh, they need to go in a different, a different direction. Ask him to play for the franchise tag. I would prefer that he plays for the franchise tag and he actually plays through with it while also drafting a quarterback at the same time to look at the future. I think Dak's a fantastic leader. I think he's phenomenal at what he does on the field too. But there are some concerns at times about some of his decision-making and some of his accuracy and throws. Then, Corey, let's get to Byron Jones and... Amari Cooper, who's your priority out of those two? Oh, that's tough uh, because of what you can do with uh, with the draft. All right, so if you don't take uh, a quarterback in the first in the first round, let's say you don't take uh, uh, is, Herbert might not be there, but let's say Love's there uh, from Utah State. Well, if one of those guys is there. Because uh, you, you might have a C.D. Lamb, you might have a Judy, you might have a Ruggs. Some of the, one of those wide receivers could be a very good cheap option in the future for you. So I really like the possibility of saying Michael Gallup. You were a thousand yard receiver last year. Uh, you know we're going to go ahead and make you the number one because he was a one B receiver last year for this team. Uh, and if he's in his third season, can he take that next step to being an elite receiver? I'd, I'd hate to have to try to find it out, but, man, if you can add another receiver in the first round in a CeeDee Lamb or a Judy, that would be phenomenal, and I think I'd feel really comfortable with that. I think Byron Jones is, is great, is great in coverage, and I would hate to have to be the, the guy that has to, uh, to throw his direction all the time or make the decision, well, I guess I can't throw his direction today. But, you know, Troy Aikman uh, once, told, uh, once told people, Hey, uh, it's not the it's not the guy that's good in coverage that I'm worried about. It's the guy that can intercept the ball. He was like, I can throw in completions all day long, but I don't want to throw an interception. And quite honestly, Byron doesn't do the interception game very well. Most of the the reasoning is that that's the way that he was coached, uh, coached to to play the receiver, not coached to play the ball. And uh, but uh, we'll see if that changes with uh, with Harris now as their new defensive backs coach. Well, nothing is more fascinating than quarterback discussion and some wild theories thrown out there. Corey Majors, that's 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. And Jerry Jones loves some offseason intrigue. Tua Tugavailoa added to that big time, exponentially with the NFL Network. Listen to what he said is his ideal landing spot of the NFL. You know, we've talked uh, about teams, we've talked to teams, somebody might trade up and you could possibly drop or you could possibly go higher. We've been talking about all those scenarios. Is there any team you're looking at like, man, I'd be good in that system or that system? If you're saying to me, if I could choose what team I want to play on, as far as my favorite team growing up, that I'd probably tell you the Cowboys. But, I mean, they're so far down. Bump Dak Prescott. No, no, I'm not trying to bump them. I'll, I'll learn under them. Corey, don't tell me for a second that Jerry Jones didn't love hear Tua saying that his ideal spot is with the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, they don't have what it takes to move up to get Tua. But give me a wild thing that could happen this offseason with the direction of the Dallas Cowboys. 
Oh man, that would be that would be an awesome scenario. Well, if you think Tua can stay healthy, one of the things that I think a lot of Cowboys fans take for granted whenever we have the Carson Wentz Dak Prescott debate is Dak's been there for every game. Even if that Philadelphia game he had a bum shoulder and it was he wasn't very good, he's been relatively healthy his entire career. Tua has not been that healthy. Also, you know, Tua's been playing with uh He's been playing with some uh, some very interesting uh, receivers, the best offensive line in the country, the best defense in the country. So, I mean, how much can you grade what Tua can be when everything's been perfect around him? Uh, but Jerry Jones loves something like that. When he hears uh, you know a top a top quarterback say something like that, I mean, just remember what Manziel's situation was. Uh, Stephen Jones had to wrestle the wrestle the card out of his hand because Jerry wanted to turn that in. Uh, something that I'm I'm kind of keeping an eye on that might be really interesting for this offseason is I'm trying to keep an eye on Jadavion Clowney. I know he wants to break the bank, but for the Cowboys, this is this is their opportunity to say, okay, where can we allot the best money? And I'm keeping an eye on if that if something wild was to happen, it would be to add Jadavion Clowney. I wasn't huge a huge fan of him and his work ethic coming out of college because I felt like that was a uh, you know, that those were things that I was like, man, I really want to see a guy in his in his next season continue to be great. But I understood the business decision he had. His career so far hasn't been what I've wanted to see. But if you can add pressure and keep Robert Quinn, add Clowney uh, or add some sort of presence on that defensive line, this defensive unit needed that the most last year. So I really I would love to see something like that happen this offseason. But that's a lot of money to spend on another defensive end. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. exclusively on the Radio.com app or at Radio.com slash home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.